Chapter Nine of The Last Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter Nine. On Sunday morning, under the bright, warm sun, the little hamlet of Fort Henry lay peacefully quiet as if no storms had ever rolled and thundered overhead, no roistering ever disturbed its stillness, and no Indian's yell ever horribly broke the quiet. "'Tis a fine morning,' said Colonel Zane, joining his sister on the porch. "'Well, how nice you look, all in white for the first time since, well, you do look charming. You're going to church, of course?' "'Yes, I invited Helen and her cousin to go.' I've persuaded her to teach my Sunday school class, and I'll take another of older children, replied Betty. That's well. The youngsters don't have much chance to learn out here, but we've made one great stride. A church and a preacher means very much to young people. Next shall come the village school. Helen and I might teach our classes an hour or two every afternoon. It would be a grand thing if you did. Fancy those tots growing up unable to read or write. I hate to think of it, but the Lord knows I've done my best. I've had my troubles in keeping them alive. Helen suggested the day school. She takes the greatest interest in everything and everybody. Her energy is remarkable. She simply must move, must do something. She overflows with kindness and sympathy. Yesterday she cried with happiness when Mabel told her Alex was eager to be married very soon. I tell you, Eb, Helen is a fine character. Yes, good as she is pretty, which is saying some, mused the colonel. I wonder who'll be the lucky fellow to win her. It's hard to say. Not that Englishman, surely. She hates him. Jonathan might. You should see her eyes when he is mentioned. "'Say, Betts, you don't mean it,' eagerly asked her brother. "'Yes, I do,' returned Betty, nodding her head positively. "'I am not easily deceived about those things. "'Helen is completely fascinated with Jack. "'She might be only a sixteen-year-old girl, "'for the way she betrays herself to me. "'Betty, I have a beautiful plan. "'No doubt you're full of them.' "'We can do it, Betty, we can, you and I,' he said as he squeezed her arm. "'My dear old matchmaking brother,' returned Betty, laughing. "'It takes two to make a bargain. Jack must be considered.' "'Bosh!' exclaimed the colonel, snapping his fingers. "'You needn't tell me any young man, any man, could resist that glorious girl.' "'Perhaps not, I couldn't, if I were a man.' But Jack's not like other people. He'd never realized that she cared for him. Besides, he's a borderman. I know, and that's the only serious obstacle. But he could scout around the fort, even if he was married. These long, lonely, terrible journeys taken by him and Wetzel are mostly unnecessary. A sweet wife could soon make him see that. The border will be civilized in a few years, and because of that He'd better give over hunting for Indians. I'd like to see him married and settle down, like all the rest of us, even Isaac. You know, Jack's the last of the Zanes, 
that is, the old Zanes, the difficulty arising from his extreme modesty and bashfulness, can easily be overcome. How most wonderful, brother! Easy as pie. Tell Jack that Helen is dying of love for him, and tell her that Jack loves— But, dear Eb, that latter part is not true, interposed Betty. True, of course it's true, or would be in any man who wasn't as blind as a bat. We'll tell her Jack cares for her, but he is a borderman with stern ideas of duty, and so slow and backward he'd never tell his love even if he had overcome his tricks of ranging. That would settle it with any girl worth her salt, and this one will fetch Jack in ten days or less. Eb, you're a devil, said Betty gaily. And then she added in a more sober vein, Understand, Eb, your idea is prompted by love of Jack, and it's all right. I never see him go out of the clearing, but I think it may be for the last time, even as on that day so long ago when Brother Andrew waved his cap to us and never came back. Jack is the best man in the world, and I, too, want to see him happy with a wife and babies and a settled occupation in life. I think we might weave a pretty little romance. Shall we try? Try. We'll do it. Now, Betts, you explain it to both. You can do it smoother than I. And telling them is really the finest point of our little plot. I'll help the good work along afterwards. You'll be out presently. Nail him at once. Jonathan, all unconscious of the deep-laid scheme to make him happy, soon came out on the porch and stretched his long arms as he breathed freely of the morning air. "'Hello, Jack. Where are you bound?' asked Betty, clasping one of his powerful buckskin-clad knees with her arm. "'Reckon I'll go over to the spring,' he replied, patting her dark, glossy head. "'Do you know I want to tell you something, Jack, and it's quite serious,' she said, blushing a little at her guilt, but resolute to carry out her part of the plot. "'Well, dear,' he asked as she hesitated, "'do you like Helen?' "'That is a question,' Jonathan replied after a moment. "'Never mind. Tell me,' she persisted. He made no answer. "'Well, Jack, she's wildly in love with you.' The borderman stood very still for several moments. Then, with one step, he gained the lawn and turned to confront her. "'What's that you say?' Betty trembled a little. He spoke so sharply, his eyes were bent on her so keenly, and he looked so strong, so forceful, that she was almost afraid. But remembering that she had said only what, to her mind was absolutely true. She raised her eyes and repeated the words, Helen is wildly in love with you. Betty, you wouldn't joke about such a thing. You wouldn't lie to me. I know you wouldn't. No, Jack, dear. She saw his powerful frame tremble, even as she had seen more than one man tremble during the siege under the impact of a bullet. Without speaking, he walked rapidly down the path toward the spring. Colonel Zane came out of his hiding-place behind the porch, and, with a face positively electrifying in its glowing pleasure, beamed upon his sister. "'Gee, didn't he stalk off like an Indian chief?' he said, chuckling with satisfaction. "'By George, Betts, 
you must have got in a great piece of work. I never in my life saw Jack look like that. Colonel Zane sat down by Betty's side and laughed softly but heartily. We'll fix him all right, the lonely hill climber. Why, he hasn't a ghost of a chance. Wait until she sees him after hearing your story. I tell you, Betty, why, damn, you're crying. He had turned to find her head lowered, while she shaded her face with her hand. Now, Betty, just a little innocent deceit like that. What harm? he said, taking her hand. He was as tender as a woman. Oh, Eb, it wasn't that. I didn't mind telling him. Only the flash in his eyes reminded me of... of Alfred. Surely it did. Why not? Almost everything brings up a tender memory for someone we've loved and lost. Don't cry, Betty. She laughed a little and raised her face with its dark cheeks flushed and tear-stained. I'm silly, I suppose, but I can't help it. I cry at least once every day. Brace up. Here come Helen and Will. Don't let them see you grieved. My Helen in pure white, too. This is a conspiracy to ruin the peace of the masculine portion of Fort Henry. Betty went forward to meet her friends while Colonel Zane continued talking, but now to himself. What a fatal beauty she has his eyes swept over helen with the pleasure of an artist the fair richness of her skin the perfect lips the wavy shiny hair the wondrous dark blue changing eyes the tall figure slender but strong and swelling with gracious womanhood made a picture he delighted in and loved to have near him the girl did not possess for him any of that magnetism so commonly felt by most of her admirers but he did feel how subtly full she was of something, which, for want of a better term, he described in Wenzel's characteristic expression as chain lightning. He reflected that as he was so much older, that she, although always winsome and earnest, showed nothing of the tormenting, bewildering coquetry of her nature. Colonel Zane prided himself on his discernment and he had already observed that helen had different sides of character for different persons to betty mabel nell and the children she was frank girlish full of fun and always lovable to her elders quiet and earnestly solicitous to please to the young men cold but with a penetrating mocking promise haunting that coldness and sometimes sweetly agreeable often willful and changeable as april winds at last the colonel concluded that she needed, as did all other spirited young women, the taming influence of a man whom she loved, a home to care for, and children to soften and temper her spirit. "'Well, young friends, I see you count on keeping the Sabbath,' he said, cheerily. "'For my part, well, I don't see how Jim Duns can preach this morning, before this laurel blossom and that damask rose.' How poetical! Which is which? asked Betty. Flatterer! laughed Helen, shaking her finger. And a married man, too, continued Betty. Well, being married has not affected my poetical sentiment nor impaired my eyesight. But it has seriously inconvenienced your old propensity of making love to the girls. Not that you wouldn't if you dared, replied Betty, with mischief in her eye. 
Now, Will, what do you think of that? Isn't it real sisterly regard? Come, we'll go and look at my thoroughbred, said Colonel Zane. Where's Jonathan? Helen asked presently. Something happened at Metzger's yesterday. Papa wouldn't tell me, and I didn't want to ask Jonathan. Jack is down by the spring. He spends a great deal of his time there. It's shady and cool, and the water babbles over the stones. How much alone is he? said Helen. Betty took her former position on the steps, but did not raise her eyes while she continued speaking. Yes, he's more alone than ever lately, and quieter, too. He hardly ever speaks now. There must be something on his mind more serious than horse-thieves. What? Helen asked quickly. I'd better not tell you. A long moment passed before Helen spoke. Please tell me. Well, Helen, we think, Eb and I, that Jack is in love for the first time in his life, and with you, you adorable creature. But Jack's a borderman. He is stern in his principle, thinks he is wedded to his border life, and he knows that he has both red and white blood on his hands. He'd die before he'd speak of his love, because he cannot understand that would do any good, even if you loved him, which is, of course, preposterous. Loves me? breathed Helen softly. She sat down rather beside Betty, and turned her face away. She still held the young woman's hand, which she squeezed so tightly as to make its owner wince. Betty stole a look at her, and saw the rich red blood mantling her cheeks and her full bosom heave. Helen turned presently with no trace of emotion except a singular brilliance of the eyes. She was so slow to speak again that Colonel Zane and Will returned from the corral before she found her voice. Colonel Zane, please tell me about last night. When Papa came home to supper, he was pale and very nervous. I knew something had happened, but he would not explain, which made me all the more anxious. Won't you please tell me? Colonel Zane glanced again at her, and knew what happened. Despite her self-possession, those tell-tale eyes told her secret. Ever-changing and shadowing with a bounding and rapturous light, they were indeed the windows of her soul. All the emotion of a woman's heart shone there, fear, beauty, wondering appeal, trembling joy, and timid hope. Tell you? Indeed I will replied Colonel Zane, softened and a little remorseful under those wonderful eyes. No one liked to tell a story better than Colonel Zane. Briefly and graphically, he related the circumstances of the affair leading to the attack on Helen's father, and, as the tale progressed, he became quite excited, speaking with animated face and forceful gestures. Just as the knife-point touched your father, a swiftly flying object knocked a weapon to the floor, it was Jonathan's tomahawk. What followed was so sudden, I hardly saw it. Like lightning and flexible as steel, Jonathan jumped over the table, smashed Case against the wall, pulled him up, and threw him over the bank. I tell you, Helen, it was a beautiful piece of action, but not, of course, for a woman's eyes. Now that's all. Your father was not even hurt. He saved Papa's life, murmured Helen, standing like a statue. She wheeled suddenly with that swift, bird-like motion habitual to her, and went quickly down the path leading to the spring. Jonathan Zane, solitary dreamer of dreams as he was, 
had never been in as strange and beautiful a reverie as that which possessed him on this sabbath morning deep into his heart had sunk betty's words the wonder of it the sweetness that alone was all he felt the glory of this girl had begun days past to spread its glamour round him swept irresistibly away now he soared aloft in a dream castle of fancy with its painted windows and golden walls for the first time in his life on the border he had entered the little glade and had no eye for the crystal water flowing over the pebbles and mossy stones or the plot of grassy ground enclosed by tall dark trees and shaded by a canopy of fresh green and azure blue nor did he hear the music of the soft rushing water the warbling birds or the gentle sighing breeze moving the leaves gone vanished lost to-day was that sweet companionship of nature that indefinable and unutterable spirit which flowed so peacefully to him from his beloved woods that something more than merely affecting his senses which existed for him in the stony cliffs and breathed with life through the lonely aisles of the forest had fled before the fateful power of a woman's love and beauty a long time that seemed only a moment passed while he leaned against the stone a light step sounded on the path a vision in pure white entered the glade two little hands pressed his and two dark blue eyes of misty beauty shed their light on him jonathan i am come to thank you sweet and tremulous the voice sounded far away thank me for what you saved papa's life oh, how can i thank you no voice answered for him i have nothing to give but this a flower-like face was held up to him hands light as thistle-down touched his shoulders dark blue eyes glowed upon him with all tenderness may i thank you so soft lips at his full and lingeringly then came a rush as of wind a flash of white and the patter of flying feet he was alone in the glade end of chapter nine